actually ended up sneaking into the Goldman Sachs dinner that was on Spellman's campus that was adjacent to Morehouse's campus and ended up hitting it off really well with one of the partners. I ended up getting two interviews and you know, the first one I completely bombed because I didn't even know what investment banking was. <laughs> Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable young professionals of color killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Weninger, proud Texas Latina, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we dive into a special guest story and hear all about their challenges, milestones, and lessons learned. If you're a young professional of color and you're feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, on this episode, you get to hear from Nate Jones, who graduated from Morehouse College in 2014 and is co-founder of the Village Microfund out of Atlanta, Georgia. In 2020, Nate was named one of HBCU VC's 31 under 31 future leaders in venture capital. He talks about his first job challenges, what drove him to co-found the Village Microfund, and what it's like to navigate the venture capital space as a black man. Well, hey, Nate, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for asking me on. Of course. So let's start with your Morehouse chapter. I know you were an econ sociology double major. Around that time, what were you thinking about in terms of career interests? And then what did you end up doing after graduation? I had a, I guess, a mentor, kind of family friend of sorts that uh, used to be an investment banker back in his day. And I got a chance to spend two weeks with him or something. And he had a really nice house and a really nice car. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, yo, I was like, what do you do? And he was like, yo, I used to be, I'm like an investment banker. And I was like, all right, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I just, I, that's the only thing I was shooting at when I was in, in undergrad. When I was, I don't know, freshman, sophomore year, I had like decent grades, but not three, seven plus by any means. And mm-hmm. didn't really understand that you needed to be like top of the class and all the professors have to love you and the career services office like needs to vouch for you. When the banks came to campus, I didn't really get the initial nod. Uh, one, because I was an econ and those things went to the finance majors. But two, I just wasn't super aware of what was happening, nor did I really understand much about finance at the time. I just knew they made a lot of money. But so I actually ended up sneaking into the Goldman Sachs dinner that was on Spellman's campus that was adjacent to Morehouse's campus and mm-hmm. ended up hitting it off really well with one of the partners who actually got his PhD in educational economics. So the stuff that I was beginning to explore was stuff that he was you know, really excited to talk about. And I ended up getting two interview super days, like interview requests. And the first one I completely bombed because I didn't even know what investment banking was. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like super nervous. And then the second one, I had a, the free trial, if you will, and I did well in that one. So I ended up doing my two summers in undergrad at Goldman and joined for a small bit after I graduated and then ended up leaving and moving back to Atlanta to work on some entrepreneurial projects. Very cool, which we'll get to in a, in a second. But tell us a little bit about that job that you had in, once you moved to Atlanta. I remember you told me it was a little challenging. Like what was challenging about it? And what did you get out of it? It was a cool role. I was on an investment team at a 
private credit fund in Atlanta. And I was an analyst under kind of an associate, senior associate type of guy. And really all we did all day was try to buy portfolios of debt. And I was in Excel all day and trying to brush up on my analytical skills and understand what an analytical skill was. And it was, the experience was good because I learned how to illustrate a problem in Excel mathematically. That was a really rough ride to get there. I didn't know how to communicate with my boss, didn't really know how to communicate my work style. Like I didn't know how to set boundaries. I just Mm -hmm. thought if I work hard and do my thing, people will, everything will work out. I stayed there for maybe, I don't know, maybe 11 to 12 months at most. And eventually left and joined a, a spot called Center for Civic Innovation, which was social entrepreneurship plus policy. And that was stuff that I was far more into. Those skills I learned there, I still, it's probably one of the most you know important and impactful experiences that I've really ever had because yeah. it was just hardcore math, Excel, analytics. And that was a skill set yeah. that the folks that that I was beginning to work with didn't really have. And it was a blessing in disguise. Definitely. Yeah. I would say that there's a season for everything. Even the work that can be really challenging can end up serving us so well in the future. And it sounds like the quantitative skill set that you built really helped you in your next chapter at CCI in something that was a lot more exciting for you. So tell us about CCI. What did you do there? Yeah, so CCI, Center for Civic Innovation, is an organization that kind of spun out of the city of Atlanta. City of Atlanta used to have an innovation office, and my boss at the time, a guy named Rohit, he's from Atlanta and convinced the city to let him take over this innovation office. And, And basically what he was trying to prove out was that charity work should be viewed as economic development work, not as philanthropy. And so we were looking to find, train, and invest in entrepreneurs that were solving social problems in their neighborhoods. There was a barber, a guy named Latif, and he was doing kind of mental health training at his barbershop while he was cutting hair. And in a perfect world, we should be able to tie some of those social improvements to to things that mean dollars and cents. So uh, I guess a quick tangent, there's a thing called a social impact bond. And, and basically, it's like nonprofits uh, and foundations that are investing in nonprofits. Like instead of giving them a grant, they might give them a loan or structure a way that they can get their money back. And the nonprofit will do work to cause some type of cost savings for a city. For example, if the police department spends $20 million in overtime fees to police officers to transport homeless folks to to a facility or to a home, you should probably just invest in a nonprofit that does homeless work. And that could cause you know this $20 million expense to maybe be $10 million in one year and then $5 million in the next year. There's some value that can be created from typically what we consider charity work. So, you know, the 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 job was really to try to find those types of entrepreneurs and help them build better businesses. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. And what kind of boxes did that job check for you in terms of career fulfillment at the time? 
Yeah. At first, I wanted to get out from a computer all day. So that was cool. I think I'm, you know, a pretty social person. And I think I do my best work when I'm like in community and like able to talk to folks and try to solve problems. And that role was really cool. It was a super cool office space, smart people that I was around. And I was really into trying to understand more about selfishly, even my own interests. I had always been interested in like finance and culture and sociology stuff. And uh, this role was able to connect the dots on those two things. So really fun experience there. Yeah. And this whole time you started working on those entrepreneurial projects that you mentioned, namely Village Microfund. So tell us a little bit about what Village Microfund is because it's still in existence. And what did that look like for you while you were working full time? Village is an impact fund that tries to train and invest in entrepreneurs in low-income neighborhoods. And the way that we do that is through debt and equity-based crowdfunding. So the first business that we invested in was a pizza shop. They had an oven that wasn't putting out pizzas very fast, Mm -hmm. and they weren't able to go to Bank of America or Chase to go get a small business loan. One, because the loan size was very small. Two, because Chase and Bank of America just aren't in low-income neighborhoods because it doesn't make sense for the business model. You end up with this issue where you have entrepreneurs and customers, citizens in neighborhoods that are engineered out of capital markets. So they're not able to raise money to get their business going or anything like that. That was Village. And in those early days, it it was crazy. I left New York to, to start that. And it was just a lot of me putting 11 to 1230 lunch meetings on my calendar and flying all across the city and trying to take meetings and trying to get back to work super quickly. And That definitely got me in trouble a few times, (laughs) but that's kind of what it was. It was nights, weekends, and crazy lunch meetings and breakfast meetings and stuff. So yeah, labor of love. What was really driving you when you were working on this, when you were running around town and trying to take these meetings and balancing your full-time job? I'm sure you had a, a strong why. So what was that why for you? Yeah, I think the big driving factor was my experiences in DeSoto and Dallas. My folks live on the south side of Dallas in DeSoto, which is like a south suburb, maybe 10, 15 minutes south of the city. And my mom worked on the north side of the city. And I would drive with her sometimes from the south side to the north side and just see like, why is there Chipotle on the north side and we don't have any restaurants on the south side? Like, why are the homes on the south side boarded up and the ones on the north side look super duper nice? Or I remember I was driving through this super nice neighborhood with my mom once and there were toys in the middle of the lawn, the front lawn. And I was like, did they not think those are going to get stolen? Like, why are these out here like this? And very early experiences to understand that problems around economic development aren't just, there's no silver bullet for it. Public health issues impact health, which impact your ability to get jobs and funding for education and housing taxes and infrastructure and transportation to be able to get to your job. All of those issues are you know interconnected. And really, I started Village with the thought to do something to try to solve that. Even if at the very beginning, it was just like a passion project where We were just thinking through stuff. The ultimate goal is to try to create some type of infrastructure that can help neighborhoods across the country. So 
that's kind of what was the driving force behind it. And now a quick message from our sponsor. Hey, Early Career Moves listener. Are you applying to graduate school right now, but wonder if you really have what it takes to get in? Feeling the anxiety of imposter syndrome as you think about how amazing and accomplished the people who get into your dream schools are is totally normal. While imposter syndrome affects all of us, it doesn't have to hold you back. I believe that nobody with big dreams is boring, and my team and I at The Art of Applying can help you get into your dream graduate school and help you get the scholarships and fellowships to pay for it. In fact, my company, The Art of Applying, has helped thousands of clients earn more than $20 million in merit scholarships and fellowships since I founded the company in 2010 while I was at Harvard. I'm Kanisha Grayson, founder of The Art of Applying and a first-generation professional. Being a first-gen pro means that I was in the first generation of my family to get a graduate degree. After graduating from Pomona College with a degree in Black Studies, I went on to earn my Master's of Business Administration and Master's of Public Administration from Harvard Business School and Harvard Kennedy School. Wherever you are in your application process, I invite you to explore working with me and my team by coming to theartofapplying.com slash ECM and signing up for a quick call. If you're dreaming of going to a top school without paying top dollar, come and speak to us today. Visit us at theartofapplying.com slash ECM to take the first step towards achieving your dream. Yeah, so you ended up deciding to go to business school to get your MBA. Tell me why you decided to get your MBA. Like what happened? Why didn't you keep going with the Village Microfund? Yeah, two big things. One, this pizza shop that we'd invested in and another restaurant, this lady named Miss D. She had a cafe that was next to, to the Westview Pizza Cafe. And the neighborhood that we were working in was, was called Westview, which is West Atlanta, basically. An investor came in and bought the building where those two entrepreneurs worked and eventually kicked both of them out. And while we had trained a bunch of entrepreneurs, it was far more difficult then to try to raise capital to to invest in them. And those two businesses were our shiny projects that we were able to fundraise around and get people excited around. And over the course of a month or two, they just weren't there anymore. And a few things we were starting to think about is like, how can we do bigger projects? How can we buy real estate? How can we really give people catalytic money instead of $15,000, $20,000 financing? Like, how can we do $100,000, $200,000, $300 million and try to really make a real difference for them? And I was like, okay, I probably need to go to school and get some other experiences to understand how to do this. So that was one. And two, to be honest with you, I was just burnt out. Like I had at that point four or five years of running ragged and just being dirt <laughs> broke. And I was just like, and I wanted to see some other cities outside of Atlanta and live in some new places. And you know, it ended up being a good break to go to school and get some other experiences and stuff. Do you think that the MBA was worth it for you? Um, especially thinking about all the success that you were having that summer before you went to business school. I know that you raised a tremendous amount of money. So how do you now think about whether or not that MBA was worth it? That was really a catalytic summer. That summer went before we went to B school because we ended up raising like $400,000. And We've wow. now gone on to raise three or four times that as the org is gone. And I don't know. I think that experience in B-School, like I wouldn't trade it for the world. I learned so much and met so many people and like really feel like I feel like I have a power suit on now. Everything just makes more sense now <laughs> mm -hmm. on the other side of that. 
I'll always think about what would have happened if I would have stayed on as the executive director at Village and taken, you know, that capital and and used it under my my own leadership, my own discretion. And my co-founder did a spectacular job and he's a killer for real. You always think about the what ifs of the world. So I don't know. I think all things that that happen for a reason and that's kind of where I stand on it, but I don't know, in the middle there on that question. Yeah. So Nate, you've been really involved in the venture capital space during graduate school. And recently you were on HBCU VC's 31 under 31 list, which is a huge accomplishment. Congrats. What is it like to take a step back and and see this success and this recognition happen for you? Uh, I don't know. It's I'm happy. Like I'm overjoyed that things worked out this way. And it certainly hasn't been very linear and took on a ton of risk to, I don't know, get to where I am now. I have to give so much thanks to my folks for sending me like $200, $300 every now and then. And the, one of the entrepreneurs that we invested in had a second home that their a relative gave to them in Atlanta. And she let us stay there for almost a year rent-free and was basically just continue doing your work. And if those two things wouldn't have happened, like I, this just wouldn't have happened. There was just no way that would have mm-hmm. been possible. And I don't know, it, it's definitely a strange place to navigate building an organization, building whatever, entrepreneur, like having ownership of a project and then being recognized for it definitely gives you, or I guess like seeing the thing do well when you're not there anymore. It's definitely exciting. It's fun. I don't know, at least recently I've been thinking through how do you move forward? It's a strange experience having a feeling and starting a business off of an idea that you had from just being super excited and interested in something to going into a space where you're not an entrepreneur anymore. I think Mm -hmm. I used to make all of my feelings from off of instinct and off of how fast my heart would beat when someone would tell me about a problem that they were facing. And I would just wheel my way to a solution and just be working through the night and trying to read things and just figure stuff out. And uh, transitioning from that type of thinking to something that's far more like process driven and like venture capital. And in many instances, I feel like I'm relearning or learning how that stuff works every day. And we know that there's so little representation of Black, Latinx, people of color investors working in the venture capital space, and you get to be one of those pioneering leaders. What is it like to navigate this space as a Black man in 2020? What are things that you have to keep in mind? Navigating that as a Black man, it's strange. It's hard to tell how you should move and how much to, you know, what to say and what to post and what to be interested in. It certainly always feels there are eyes on you watching your movements. And in in a lot of instances, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently is that all of this stuff wouldn't be possible if I were my dad's age, for example, right? Like there's, Mm -hmm. you know, an entire multiple generations, but with respect to the question, this previous generation of people that, you know, were born in like the late 50s and 60s that really bore the brunt of systemic racism is like still a thing and will for the foreseeable future be a thing. We're in a place now where an organization like HBCUVC can exist and have programming and have a list of 30 Black people that are in venture capital and create pathways for young folks that are coming out of college to get introduced to venture capital and entrepreneurship and 
those things just would have been completely not in the picture even 10 right. years ago. It's a strange place, but I'm taking it day by day. And I think we've all had an understanding recently that the world changes every day and it's the world changing in front of our eyes. I'm optimistic about where we're going, but you've just got to be hypersensitive to to how you move when you're in the space and you're Black or you're just a person of color. Mm-hmm. Just any person except for a white man, really. You just got to be more sensitive right. to how you move. Yeah. And that is on 100. 100% agree with that. So my last question for you is, what would you tell younger Nate, maybe back when you were starting out your first job? Like, what is a piece of advice that you would give your younger self before going on this journey? Or maybe just to someone who's trying to make it in finance, VC or investing? Yeah. Stay motivated. Things aren't always linear. Stay really inquisitive and follow up with folks and show them that you're passionate or you have energy around what you want to get accomplished. And don't feel like you have to check all the boxes before you feel qualified to submit an application or have a, have a conversation with folks. I, I think one of the things that really helped me out super early were probably sending emails to folks that I probably shouldn't have been sending emails to and and, and then right. following up and saying, hey, just want to follow up on this, following up on this, following up on this. And eventually they're going to be like, damn, I wish this person would stop emailing me. And you might get a call or be able to do a lunch or a breakfast that really changes your viewpoint on stuff. And I know that was you know certainly the case for me. So yeah, stay energetic, stay inquisitive, stay motivated. The life is is not easy. And a lot of stuff gets thrown at you and you just got to take it on the chin, figure out a way to stay mentally healthy and motivated and and don't give up. Yes. And that last part on keeping mentally healthy is so key. So thanks for bringing that up. And thank you so much for being with us today, Nate. It has been such a joy to be able to chat with you. Thanks for tuning into the Early Career Moves podcast. Be sure to visit ecmpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and become a part of our newsletter community. And if you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Have a great week.